Hello, and welcome to Raise the Bar, the Sky High and Fly Jump Camps podcast. I'm your host, Troy Haynes. We talk about anything and everything that has to do with uh, jumping, jump training, jump coaching, psychology, nutrition, flexibility, plyometrics, sprinting, speed agility, whatever and wherever. We talk with athletes, we talk with coaches, we talk with trainers, and we are um, just excited to be with you again today. I am. Uh, today's guest, I'm going to do a little send up before he calls in, is uh, a UCLA great, let's say a UCLA legend, um, Willie Banks. He is uh, a former world record holder in the men's triple jump. He is the current uh, 60-year-old uh, age group world record holder in the high jump at six feet. Um, Willie made three different Olympic teams in 80 84 and 88 he did not get to compete in 1980 due to the u.s olympic boycott he just left uh, ucla right before i got there in 1982 uh, he did hang around and train quite a bit at ucla saw him around but i don't believe i ever got introduced to willie and um, as a young young athlete at ucla i was a definitely a little puppy dog and uh, kind of scared of my own shadow and wasn't likely to go up and just brashly introduce myself the way I do now, <laughs> trying to get people onto the podcast. So uh, I never had a chance to talk with Willie. Um, I just recently was talking with uh, Lee Balkin, another former UCLA great, number two on the all-time list there. I jumped with both him and Del Davis, um, number one and number two. I was number four. So we had quite a good couple years there training and, and uh, learning things. Uh, I learned a lot from them. I don't know if they learned anything from me, but um, uh, I talked with Lee and he suggested Willie as a guest. And um, he told me that uh, he's got a great story about Willie at the world championships, uh, national championships in 1985 or the worlds. I'm not sure which I'll, I'll have to get the story straight, but um, apparently Willie, uh, called his world record, told Lee that he felt great after his first jump. Uh, he didn't tell just Lee, but he told a couple other people that he felt he was going to break the world record and went ahead and did so. Jumped uh, 58, 11 and a half, uh, shattering the, the triple jump record at that time, which has since been broken and now stands close to 60 feet. But um, So those are Willie's claims to fame. We're going to find out about his track and field background, uh, both uh, high school and college before he, you know, he was already elite when he was at UCLA, but even, I guess, more elite when he was done when being on the team and um, then moving on to Olympic teams. I don't know if Willie has done any coaching. Um, we'll find that out when he calls in. Um, in the meanwhile, I want to uh, preface a couple of comments and um, just standard things we've been talking about here on, on Raise the Bar, one of which has been the lack of interest in track and field uh, here in the U.S. and worldwide. Um, and Willie is, is intimately involved with trying to uh, improve that situation. Um, if you were to ask a lot of parents and kids and people that don't really have much of a track background, they might think that track and field is, you know, pretty good here in the U.S. There's 
uh, Junior Olympics every summer, um, two different versions. There is, you know, high school, college, elite competition still going on. Uh, the United States is still one of the dominant powers in the world, maybe not as dominant as we've been in the past, but the showing at this last world uh, championships was was pretty strong here in the U.S. So the some people would say, well, you know, track and field is doing just about as good as it's been. And um, we had a podcast a couple of weeks ago with uh, Alan Hankel, my former coach and and coach of uh, Doug Nordquist, uh, seven, eight and three quarters, Doug Nordquist from the 1984 Olympic team here in the U.S., and uh, Lauren Magnuson, who um, qualified for the trials back in 2016 and is currently um, doing some coaching work up at Chico State and occasionally down with uh, Jeremy Fisher at the U.S. Olympic uh, well, it's the U.S. Olympic Training Center. It's a, the, the center down in Chula Vista. And um, we spent uh, quite a bit of time talking about, you know, this uh, the state of track and field, both in the U.S. and around the world. And the fact of the matter is here in, in the U.S. that there's not uh, that much interest. And when I'm saying interest, you say, well, there's lots of people doing track and field. Parents and athletes are doing it. There's coaches doing it. Not a lot of coaches at the high school and even at the higher levels. Um, but there's some. And, um, you know, you say, oh, there's, there's, you know, 100 kids on the track team or whatever. It depends on the program. But... Uh, when I was a kid growing up, I watched the Olympics on TV. Uh, 1976 is the first one that I really remember. And seeing Bruce Jenner win the decathlon and, you know, watching the great U.S. Olympic boxing team. And I just loved all the sports. I was 12 years old and ate it up, you know, like crazy. So um, it seems to me that uh, we have kind of slid backwards. But we're going to talk to Willie about that. He's got some insights and some um some surprising revelations for us. So I'm going to let him in right now into the waiting room area and make sure he's got his microphone on and all that good stuff. You're listening to me as my sound and technician crew because I am the sound and technician crew. All right. I see his face. He's smiling. I haven't heard him yet. Oh, hello. How are you? Well, he is. There's the famous Willie Banks. I just did your your send up, uh, got a few minutes to talk about you. So if your ears were burning, it was because I was telling everybody about uh, many of your exploits. Um, we, we were talking earlier and then we, we decided to restart. So, um, what we didn't get to last time, and we'll get back to the other stuff that we did, Willie, I was curious, uh, what your athletic background was as a, a kid growing up. We never talked about what you did in, you know, uh, youth sports and then high school that got you into UCLA. So maybe I should start by explaining to everyone that when I was younger, they didn't have things like ADD, but uh, <laughs> I was I was quite hyper and I had a lot of trouble in school early on because I, I mean, I cried a lot because I was very frustrated. I was one of those kids that stood up and was like, oh, I know, I know, I know. And, you know, the teacher would have to get to the other kids, so uh, would pass over me and I would just get frustrated and start crying or something. So my parents took me to a psychiatrist. So what's wrong with this dumbass kid? (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I went through a battery of tests and the results of those tests just showed that I was just hyperactive. That's what they called it. Right. And so I was... My, they told my parents to get me into 
different activities. And my father was a Marine. And so everything on the Marine Corps base in Camp Pendleton was pretty much either free or cost, what, 25 cents, something like that. So it was very, very inexpensive. So they put me in uh, golf, tennis, horseback riding, um, swimming. I, I just, I, I would come home, I would be exhausted. <laughs> and come to think of it, I mean, I, I just kind of mellowed out because I wasn't uh, hyper anymore. Well, I was probably hyper, but I mellowed out quite a bit. And my parents saw that I would jump around. I mean, we even created a high jump pit in, uh, in the neighbor's yard and we would jump onto a, 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 a mattress over these sticks with nails in it. But we, right. weren't very, we weren't very bright. And so the nails were pointing out and we put the, the bar on the outside of the, the uh, standards. And when you'd hit it, the bars would fall on you at least the first time and it, it hit me and clipped my my cheek and so I still have a scar from that and uh so that's kind of the first first my first impression of track and field was was hurting myself on the high jump <laughs> wasn't a very big fan but then <laughs> when I was in sixth grade my best friend Billy who uh I, I'm I, I'm sorry that was his brother's name was Billy and his name was Randall and he's the one who named me Willie because my name was William up until seventh grade and then since he was my friend called me Willie all the time uh I became Willie yeah he actually we actually went to a track meet and we competed in a track meet I didn't even know what it was so I competed in the 50 the long jump and the high jump and I took second in the high and third in the other two events but I said you know what I like this I get a ribbon and everything it was right. really, really exciting for me and from then on I started uh, high jumping and uh, the reason why I jumped was because when I was in junior high one of the high schoolers came to my junior high I went to Jefferson Junior High in Oceanside California and in Oceanside, there was a high jumper at the time, back in uh, the late 60s, early 70s. His name was uh, Jerry Culp. And Jerry was one of the first high schoolers ever to jump seven feet. Wow. So I didn't know it at the time, but he came down and he, he was talking to us about track and field and high jump. And, and he put the bar up and. He showed how high it was. And I said, holy mackerel, I want to see this guy jump. <laughs> I went to the high school to watch him jump. And uh, they started the high jump. I was watching and I couldn't find him. I thought, oh, crap. I came all the way up here and this guy's not even going to jump. After everyone went out, you know, failed to make six feet. The judge walks over to this guy sitting on the ground with a hoodie over his head. And... and it was Jerry. I was like, oh, what happened? Why didn't he jump? And then he stands up. The judge goes back over and puts it to, I think it was like 6'6 six, six or 6'4. Six, Jerry jumps over it with his sweats on. I said to myself, I want to be that cool. I want to be so <laughs> cool. No one else can make even, you know, within four inches of me. And I'm going to go up and with my sweats on and just jump. And I decided to be a high jumper. And that's how I got in the high jump. And then 
high school, I started high jumping. I got kicked off the team because I wouldn't high jump the way my my coach wanted me to high jump. It took my mother to come back and force me to apologize to the coach to get me. <laughs> And then I uh, started long jumping, hurdling. My junior year, I started the triple jump. Wow. And I didn't lose. I won the state meet my junior year. And then my senior year, I was undefeated, won the state meet. I went to Chicago. And let's see, I was six foot three, about 150 pounds. And there was a gust of wind every time I, you know, the windy city. I didn't know what it meant until I actually got up and started drinking. And the wind was in our face. And I lost to this one guy. And I was so upset. I didn't know what to do because I was undefeated, right? So right. then later on, I went to um, Golden West in California. It was a big meet. And I beat that guy really good. So, and uh, okay. I almost hit the record. So that was good. That's so it. That was my high school background. That was your high school background. Yeah, that's that's a great, great story you got. Uh, so you won the long triple jump twice. Do, did yeah. you make it to the state meet in the long and the high as well? Anything else besides? I made it to the state meet in the long jump three times. My okay. sophomore, junior, and senior year, the best I did was uh, sixth place. What was your best uh, long jump in high school? 24 feet, two inches. Okay. That's, that's very strong. So when they recruited you at UCLA, did they give you the full ride right off the bat? They they wanted you well, there. And it's funny, they they recruited me hard, but I went on a California State scholarship. And then after I realized that, you know, being on an athletic scholarship was a lot more fun, you know, you got a lot more goodies, I switched over to a full ride. And I went full ride through my entire career at UCLA. And my law school was paid for by the NC2A. Um, I guess it's called the, what is it called? The NC2A Scholar, Top 5 Scholar Athletes of the Year. Wow. And so I got scholarship at the law school. I went to UCLA Law School. Outrageous. So uh, that's that takes you up through there. So uh, and you went to Oceanside down in San Diego, or kind of, is that San Diego-ish? Is it is Oceanside considered San Diego or is it just close to San Diego? No, it's it's North County, San Diego. Count San Diego County, Oceanside is the city. It's okay. The second, it used to be the largest city in in uh, the county. You know, I, th I believe it's the second largest uh -huh. population wise. And did you do any other sports other than track and field, or was that it? I played basketball. I loved basketball, boy. Yeah. I would play basketball all day long. I had one of those basketball Joneses. That's really crazy. Gym rat, go to the gym, play for three oh. hours, that kind of thing. Go, go to the gym, play, play, play. Go to the playground, play, play, play. Go to, come home, back the car out of the driveway, turn on the lights and play, play, play. <laughs> I can't believe that I even did homework. I mean, all I wanted to do is play basketball. Yeah. Wow. Well, you and a lot of the other great athletes, uh, I, I keep telling people this, you know, I, I think um, having – young athletes come to you especially nowadays it seems like and they're like well i don't really want to do this unless i'm going to win and i'm like okay back it up <laughs> right, I, right. I cannot That's guarantee you that you are going to win anything you know you, you can be really really yeah. good and not win you know <laughs> and, and it's just you know it's not the way things roll out but i 
I I've said this to a couple of people just recently because it's, it's just kind of stuck with me is that when someone makes something look really, really easy, like they're so good and they're so polished and you watch them, you go, Oh my gosh, that just looks like the, the easiest thing in the world. I'm like, you have no idea how much time they have put into that. I mean, the, the people that are, are outrageously talented and don't have to work, there's a few of them, but they're so rare. You know, and when you get that combination of talent and the work that goes behind it to perfect the craft, that's a whole nother level, you know. It really is. I respect people so much when I see them doing their what they do and 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 looking like you said, looking like it's it's just too easy for them. Right. <laughs> knowing knowing yeah. that they're always the first one in the gym or the first one on the track and the last one to leave. Yeah. And that's what I did. I mean, I will never forget in 85, I would be the first one on the track and I would be the last one to leave. And I wouldn't just leave. I'd go to the gym and yeah. lift the weights and, and then I'd go home and I would, I would, you know, get into jacuzzi and I would stretch. And I mean, it was a full time, eight hour day of track. Right. And uh, that's when I broke the world record. And I realized that that's the kind of effort you have to put into. Yeah. Yeah. Your craft in order to be good enough to be an elite athlete yeah that's amazing um we we talked about this earlier willie and and you went to ucla and your coach was tom telez and we we mentioned the fact that you know he took off shortly after that to go to to houston um and and you t talked about what a great coach tom is and and tom is is still with us i think he's living in houston or somewhere in there i talked with larry silva recently he told me he he had talked to him but um, he's getting up there, right? He's, he's getting, getting older. So, um, and then I wanted, I wanted to talk a little bit about that relationship and then, uh, your relationship with Jim Bush, if there was any, anything like that. So what were the, the relationships like with, with those two great coaches, uh, that you, you managed to get to work with both of them while you're at UCLA? Well, of course I had a much closer relationship with Tom Telez because he was the assistant coach and he was my coach directly uh, coach bush was like the he was like the, the the wizard of oz you know he was the big guy he was the <laughs> guy you know he was the, the 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 man and and so i didn't get as much attention from him uh or i didn't get as much um i you know he wasn't really coaching me per se so right. it was it was a weird relationship, especially as a freshman. You come in and you're just a knucklehead. You don't know what's going on, right? <laughs> but I was blessed in so many different ways. And one of the ways that I was blessed was my freshman year at UCLA. I I just it Tom Pelez took me from being like Bambi to to being a lion just like that in my freshman year i went from jumping 24 feet two to jumping uh 26 eight wow uh, i no 26 no 26 two and then he took me from jumping 53 feet to jumping 55 one and setting wow. a national record and so and it all happened in one day against USC and it was it, it you know it's a it's an interesting story I don't know if we have enough time but 
that really put my name on the map for the very first time. Yeah. And Tom Telez actually, ex he exemplified to me on that one day what a great coach is and how great he was. Yeah. In one instant. He, you know, I didn't know it at the time, but when I look back at it, it was quite amazing. And we had this competition against USC. And as you know, it's a big, big thing for LA, oh, yeah. UCLA. And it was at a time when there was this fictional national dual meet champion. That's when we had dual meets, team against team. Right. And we both had both teams had olympians and champion nca champion we had the best teams in the world i thought because so many had gone to olympic games and i remember jumping it i was entered in the long and the triple and i did the long jump my first event i wasn't a real good long jumper as you know and i just did it because they needed points and i was jumping against the nca champion the olympic champion randy williams and so many other great athletes and I was just stupid freshman, about 6'3", 155 now. And I jumped 26'2", and I won the, the competition in the long Wow. Unbelievable. <laughs> That's awesome. And I just started because Telez saw me jump once, and he goes, where'd you learn that? And I said, I was just copying Jerry. And Jerry Herndon was a sophomore. I was just copying him, what he did. And he goes, you come with me. And he, te he taught me how to jump. So anyway, um, then the triple jump started and it was going back and forth. The meet was going back and forth between UCLA and USC. And at this time, you know, track was pretty big, but it was never as big as this. We had 15,000 people in the stand. Well, at Drake or we have 12,000 and then wrapped around the stadium. There was probably yeah. another three or 4,000 people. It wow. was absolutely unbelievable. The band was out. The cheerleaders were out. The Channel 5, was it Channel 5? Yeah, Channel 5, uh, KTLA oh. was out, and it was pandemonium. So they started triple jump, and again, I'm jumping against NC2A best. And so during the competition, we got down to the last competition, and announcement comes over this the uh, loudspeaker. Willie Banks is up, and... If he jumps beyond uh, Tom Cochet, who was the USC athlete at the time, best athlete at the time, he'll win the meet. UCLA will win the meet if, if he can do that. And I get Tom, you know, like 54 feet. And I was like, holy crap. Well, how am I going to do that? And No pressure. <laughs> I went over to uh, – no – Coach Bush comes over, and I, like I said, I hadn't really had a lot of, you know, interactions with Coach Bush. And he says, well, son, you can win this, you can lose this one. <laughs> and I'm like, holy crap, that's an amazing talk, You know, the Wizard of Oz comes over and says, right. it's going to be good. And I thought, oh, man. So I run over to Tom Telez, I mean, Coach Telez, I say, Coach, what do I do? And here is something that if you're a coach, this is probably the smartest thing you can do to a kid who's in a tough situation. He looked at me 
no smile, no nothing. He said, do what you do in practice. And he turned around and he walked <laughs> away. I was like, are you, you know, are you right? What kind of is that? Bush did something better than you did. At least he scared the crap out of me. So I walk back up and I'm standing at the top of the runway and they break into the A clap, the UCLA clap. Right. And the band is going. I look over and people are yelling and I look over and I see my hero at the time, OJ Simpson saying, you'll never make it. Oh, no. Holy crap. This is a rough <laughs> situation I'm in, but I, I just, I just stood there. I said a quick prayer, and I just took off. I couldn't feel a thing. I couldn't hear a thing. I just jumped, hop, skip, jump, and I landed. And all of a sudden, I could hear and see. And it was like that was that was a good jump. I ran over to the to the uh, the board, and they kept pulling and pulling and pulling. Fifty four. 54, 6, 55, 55, 1. Holy crap. I, we won the track meet on that jump. Wow. It was stupid. And uh, this was that day. I don't know if you can see it. It's getting uh, out of focus. Yeah, it is a bit out of focus. Isn't a little it? Bit, maybe a little anyway. bit farther back. Uh, oh. I don't know if it's the farther back. <laughs> yeah, I don't know either. Anyway. You can see me. I see that picture, yeah. With oh, that's a, awesome. Uh, man, they going yeah. 55 feet. Now, that was a national record at that time? Is that what you said? Yeah, it was, it was a national record, junior that, record. The collegiate record? Junior, record. Or just... junior, junior and collegiate record. Wow. So that was, that was a big time for me. It was so awesome. I was running for political office at the time. Really? Yeah, for the school. And uh, I was elected in a landslide. And uh, smart time so to run. Right? Huh? Smart time to run right after. Oh, oh gosh, everything lined up. <laughs> I tell you, there's there's probably no one on earth has been more blessed than me with things like that. So that was a special time at UCLA for me. And it took me all the way through uh, UCLA. You know, I was I was always one of the you know, I was picked as team captain. I was always given a lot of uh, leeway for being a, a knucklehead and, and uh, really enjoyed my stay. Met so many great athletes. So UCLA is a special place. It really is yeah. in terms of athletics. And Amen. Yeah, we, uh, I just actually started up a, a special edition of the Raise the Bar podcast with our focus on, on UCLA athletes like yourself. So I'm trying to, um, to get others so i'm i'm really hopeful now that you've done one to get say uh mike powell um oh yeah mike. i tried you know lee balkin lee's lee's kind of shy um i i need to get in touch with del davis i i haven't talked to del in 30 35 years since i you know jumped with him um but there's well, i have a bunch of i have a bunch of guys that you can talk to i mean uh, J.O. Yeah. um james owens he's around wow uh, yeah James Butts is around. I, you know, we have we have a uh, a get together of the old guys, uh, you know, the OGs, I guess. <laughs> Both UCLA and USC, we all get together on a Zoom call, 
from time to time. And it's like, I don't know, there's maybe 40 or 50 of us. And we're just uh-huh. yelling at each other and telling old <laughs> stories. And That's it's awesome. the greatest. So I can I can put you in touch with uh, Gordon Peppers, who's the guy who runs it. Oh, that's he has great. everybody's phone numbers, everybody's emails. I mean, Chico Freeman. Milan Tiff is probably the greatest, the greatest um, speaker in the entire world. I mean, he's yeah. just amazing athlete and an amazing artist, an amazing talker. He's just wacko crazy, and I love him. So oh. you might want to get him. There's, I mean, there's tons, and there's basketball players. Yeah, yeah. We can get in touch with this. There's all kinds of guys. So yeah. Yeah, we got to got to keep this network growing because um, I have a, a friend of mine, Rodney Van Jr., played football back in the – he's on the 2004 team when uh, Carl Durrell was coach. And we got uh, Maurice Jones-Drew to to come and do one. So that was a big, awesome. a big land. And I'm like, please tell me you're going to meet Ken Norton Jr. because I am like one of the <laughs> biggest Ken Norton Jr. fans ever just because – I was a huge boxing fan when I was a kid and I, I watched his dad fight Muhammad Ali, right. And beat him two different times, break his jaw and all that stuff. And then of course he comes to UCLA and plays great and goes off into the pros and wins Super Bowls. And, and uh, Maurice talked about the fact that uh, he came to UCLA first looking for a job and Darrell said, we don't need you. And he went over to SC (laughs) and the rest was history, right. National championships and, followed pete up to seattle and all that so um but that's that's another uh another story but that's the the ucla connection um we mentioned this before too now you made three olympic teams which is a a rarefied air it's it's not unheard of but it's it's also not common um and you you said and of course everybody knows in 1980 we had a boycott so can you explain to everybody what what was that like to to train that hard and to make an Olympic team and just have that rug pulled out from under your feet? Well, let me start in 76 because I jumped in 76 and I nearly made the team that time. I was, um, you know, that was going to be in Montreal. So my parents, they 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 took a loan out on the house and bought a car and a trailer and they pulled that trailer up to Canada and they were so excited for me. And I went to Eugene to compete in the Olympic trials. I was in third place going into the last round and Dupree jumped an inch further than I did. And I became wow. an alternate, which means you're going to sit your best, the worst place position to be in. Right. And I remember calling my father up and I said, Hey dad, well, um, I did the best I could, and I, I came in fourth, so I won't be going to Montreal. My my dad, you know, the Marine, he's like, well, son, I'm glad you did the best you could. See ya. We're off to Montreal. <laughs> <laughs> we're going so anyway. All, everybody in my family went, and I sat at home, you know. <laughs> I sat in my, my apartment just, like, depressed. And yeah. I vowed, though, I was going to make that 80 team and win a gold medal, and then in 1980, uh, the Soviet Union invaded Afghanistan and uh, President Carter didn't know what else to do but to boycott the Moscow Olympic Games. Dumbass. Yeah. And so I wound up sitting again watching on uh, TV. Wow. Get it in the United States. And then uh, find my find my but I won the Olympic trials by a, a foot and I was in the best condition. In fact, I had set a an indoor record 
And uh, at the end of it, I was ranked number two only because I couldn't go to the Olympic Games and win the games. The guy who won the gold medal there was ranked number one yeah. in the world. So that was disheartening, but I swore up and down I'd make the 84 team, and I did. I made it, but I was injured. Making it, you know, as an injured athlete, it's really hard. I still competed. I finished sixth. I was so depressed. I just went to a hotel room to, to check out for a while, and I was crying like a baby. And all of a sudden, I felt myself, you know, just kind of in a dream, and it felt like I was being talked to by God. And it was like, you know, you know, you've got more to do than just win a gold medal. You know, the world record is just hanging there. Right. And I, I was like, right. So I, you know, I decided that's what I was going to do. I was going to try and break a world record because, you know, 88 seems so far away. Four years is a long way. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, so, so I checked out of the hotel. I went back to the Olympic Stadium. And I was actually a color commentator for ABC Radio. And really? I was so happy. Yeah. I mean, Great. And at that Olympic Games was the first time they had email. First time. Wow. You, know, you could go onto a, a terminal and write a note and leave it for another person. That was the first time I'd ever seen it. First time in you know the United States. Well, I'm sure they had it, but that was the first time that I'd ever seen it. First time most people ever seen. You just write a note and you leave it and you come back and someone will write you a note. And it's like, this is the greatest thing in the world. Right. So I did that for a while, and then afterwards, I got a, I, you know, I started training for that world record, and then um, we can talk about that or talk about something else. I'll tell you the story about that one as well. Oh man, that's, um, I love that that uh, setup. I, I got a text. I was, we were talking about Lee Balkin, and and he told me to ask you about the story because he said he remembered in '85 when he was, you know, competing in the high jump. Now this at Indianapolis, that was our, our national championships, like yeah. not right. collegiate, but uh, the, the next step up. Senior was national that the TAC meet? Was that the Diathletic <laughs> Congress? That one, right? Yeah. I remember that. Okay, so at that meet, uh, after one jump, you said you you felt the world the world record was within reach. You had a great warm-up and a great first jump, and you actually told Lee and, and a couple other people that you were getting ready to break the world record. Yeah, so tell us, right. tell us how that, how that shake, shaked out. So it's just like you said, I remember going down, I fouled actually my first jump, but it was so easy. I was like, oh my God, if I put any effort into this, this is going to be amazing. And uh, I remember going back and put my sweats on and I always like to listen to music and I was, you know, bobbing and weaving and doing my little thing. And then all of a sudden I closed my eyes. I watched myself do the triple jump and it's like, God was telling me I was going to break the world record. That's when I went over to Lee and said, Lee, guess what? I'm going to break the world record. And I'm sure Lee in his mind is like, well, Willie's lost it. <laughs> and I went over and told uh, a couple other people and I told the judge, man, make sure you get this because this is going to be a world record. And of course, he thought I was nuts too. So I stood at the top of the runway and I just ran. No need to prepare because I knew I was going to break the world record. I just ran down, took a hop, a skip, a jump, and landed right near the world record, but passed it. And as I raised my fist immediately as I came down, I mean, as I landed, I raised my fist and jumped around because I knew it was a world record. And when I came back, they, they confirmed it. And I was like, see, Lee, I told you. Uh, right. That's awesome. Yeah. Now, when you 
when you finally retired, because we talked about all the, the great things you've accomplished, and did you make the 88 team also? I did. I did. I made the 88 team. And I actually made the 88 team with a jump of 59 feet eight or something like that. It was 18 meters 20, which, it, but it was wind dated. It was the furthest anyone had ever jumped, wind dated or not, uh, ever. And I did three over 18 meters, which, you know, which was like three over 59 feet. Yeah. Um, that day and I was jumping like crazy the next day I got up and my Achilles had locked up and wow. that, that was it so I did everything possible to try and loosen them up I got there and once again I finished sixth in the Olympic Games in Seoul and then uh, I I took a bunch of surgeries I went over to Japan to live for a while and train and coach and I came back and tried to make the 92 games and nope not even close. So yeah. I hung it up after that, but I never, I was, I was never um, disappointed with what I had accomplished in track and field. And uh, it had been such a wonderful experience and it gave me everything. I mean, track and field has given me everything and continues to give me so much it's yeah. just amazing. How can anyone be blessed like this? I've got, you know, I met my wife and I got my house, everything, you know, came from the money and, and, and the experience and the, the contacts and the network that I created as a triple jumper, a triple jumper. And I haven't even told you that story. So. <laughs> well, let's, let's hear it. What was, how did that, uh, that come around? You, you said you started off as a long jumper and, and even a high jump. So the triple jump, in my opinion, and we we don't talk about this much on, on the podcast because I was a high jumper and I got trained uh, at the end of my career by little Baru Elias out at uh, Long Beach City. Who was, oh, I know Elias. I know you know Elias. He was a, a really good technician and I, I learned a lot of things from him, but there was not one time after we did because he would have us do triple jump bounding and there wasn't one time he came to me and said, you know, you've missed your calling as a high jumper. You should be a triple jumper. That was not an issue. And I, I personally think it is one of the most difficult technical events that have been created. So how, how'd you get roped into being a triple jumper? Well, I got to tell you, the triple jump is, was, was, it was like, once again, God created an event and then he created me for that event. I think. Yeah. Because it just fit me like a glove. My junior year, they introduced it. I ran down. I took a hop, skip, and a jump. And I did that long hop, short step, and then big jump. And my history teacher said, Willie, what are you doing now? And I said, oh, they, they, they introduced this new event called a triple jump, and I'm the best in the school. He goes, well, maybe I'll come out and watch. Maybe I can give you some pointers. And he must have been 50-something, right? And I looked at him like, oh, man, I just told you I'm the best in the school. What is a history teacher going to teach me? And he said, no, 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 really. I was the NC2A champion in 1944, uh, 45, and 46. And I was this, and I was that. I would have made the Olympic team, but the war and all this. And I said, oh, okay. So he came out, and he actually showed me how to do the real triple jump with a, a middle long middle step. And so 
after that, there was no, I mean, they had to, every school had to dig the pit out an additional five feet because wow. of how I was jumping. That's crazy. Yeah. And it was insane. And I was just, I was, I was just good. I mean, I set the mouse tackle relays record and, and, and I won the state meet. I won the, uh, twice, you know, my yeah. junior and senior year. And then I told you a little bit about my UCLA experience, but really what made me a famous, I guess, what made me famous outside of Los Angeles was a meet in Stockholm in 1981. 1981, I had just set the national record in the triple jump. And I thought I was the baddest thing on earth <laughs> because no one had jumped that far. And I was like, wow, I'm going to win everything. I'm going to get rich in Europe because they have to pay me. I went over there to Europe with my manager and I said, man, you go in there and you cut some deals like crazy. He came out, he walked up to me and he said, hey, I got some good news and bad news. And I said, what's the how can there be tell me the bad news and he said well the bad news is there aren't any triple jumps after this one here in stockholm and i said how can there not be well how in the hell is there any good news he goes well i got you a long jump in in lausanne uh after the stockholm meet and i'm looking at him i'm, I'm looking at him like are you crazy <laughs> so i was pissed i said I went into the room, you know, athletes aren't really allowed in there. It's just the meat promoters who are, you know, doing all the, 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 the negotiating. And I went up to the biggest meat organizer in Europe, Andy Norman. He was a, he was a retired cop, big dude, mean as hell, cursed like a sailor. And I walked up to him and I said, hey, I understand you're not having the triple jump. What's wrong with you? And he sat back and he put his arm up and he looked at me and he cocked his head and he said, listen here, let me ask you something. Why in the hell would I have you come to my meet and I pay you to come to my meet when nobody is coming to my meet to watch you? The no one's even coming to watch the triple jump. The triple jump is not exciting. So now get the hell out of it. Wow. A light bulb went off and I was like, holy crap, he's right. I can jump all I want, but if no one's coming to watch me, who the hell cares? Right. I'm just jumping. <laughs> so I went to my room, sat there. I got up and I, I, I was so upset. I went to the meet, I went to the stadium early. There wasn't a lot of people there and I was just warming up. And I, I was one of the first ones to wear a headphone and I had like a, a recording device. It's uh they call it a Walkman. I don't know if you may. Yeah, know. oh yeah, yeah. Now nobody else does. To have that. And I was walking around, I mean, I was jogging around with this thing and I played this instrumental, not just Knee Deep by Parliament Funkadelic and they had a great inst guitar instrumental that I uh, solo that I recorded over and over and over and over again. And this thing just got me hyped. And so when we they when people started coming and 
they finally started the triple jump. I, uh, you know, I, I was like, we got to do something, guys. So when they brought all the guys together, I said, listen, we got to do something. They're not going to have the triple jump this year anywhere this summer because they think it's boring. We're going to show them just how exciting the, and, 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 and fantastic the triple jump is. We're going to break national records. We're going to do, you know, we're going to, we, hey, we, maybe we can break a world record. I don't know. Let's just get out here and show them how fun. There was probably 13 guys in the meet. The first eight guys had to have fouled. I thought I was going to have to shoot myself in the head. It was so bad. <laughs> I just laid there and I was like, no, no. Oh, no. We're never going to get it. So then it got to be my turn. And I had my headphones on. Took my headphones off, my top off. And when I pulled down my pants, these five drunk sweets, you know, because you could drink there. you know, <laughs> right. They were they were having a good time. I looked up. Yeah, they were like, you know, over there laughing. And I took my sweats off and someone, and I was like, what? (laughs) Seriously? (laughs) Trying to ruin my concentration. Not going to happen. So what I usually do is I would stand up, clap my hands three times, shake my fist three times, and go. That was my usual routine. You know, everybody has their own routine. So I clap my hands three times, and these five drunk Swedes, they clap their hands about three times. I looked over like, I'm concentrating here. <laughs> clap my hands three times. They clap their hands three times. I looked at them again. I just go, okay, whatever. Clap my hands three times. Shift my flicks. They uh, shift my fist. They clap their hands three times. And I ran. I took a hop, a skip, a jump. I jumped like 54, eight or something like that. And at the time, that was going to lead the competition, and it was a pretty good jump, right? My best jump in college was 55-1, as I told you, which was like right. 1688. So maybe I jumped 1650 or 1660 or something like that. And I came back, and those five guys were like clapping. And some people around them were clapping. And I go, okay, I put my headphones on, and I usually dance and stretch. So I dance and stretch, and people were looking and laughing and pointing. I didn't care because I was into me. When it was my turn, you know, all the foulers went by, and then it was my turn. They started, that whole section started clapping. And I was like, what are they doing? <laughs> Why are they doing right. it? I thought, like, okay. I clapped my hands three times, shake my fist, and I ran down, and I jumped 55-1. And that was a better jump. I came back, and everybody was clapping. And so then I got into it. I was like, okay, I'll get into this. And I jumped further, further, and then on my... After my fifth, after my third jump, I told the meat promoter to put a flag at each one of the big marks, you know, the Swedish record, the European record, the world record. So he did. And then I thought to my, you know, I jumped and I jumped. I got pretty close. On my fifth jump, I decided I'm going to break the world record. I rolled down there as fast as I could. I took a hop, a skip, a jump. I landed right at the world record. I jump up my hands and the red flag starts to go uh. But the guy is shaking because he knew what was coming. The whistles, the jeers, the no ways, the, you know, yeah. yelling at him, right? And he's shaking and I go, no way, knowing I had fouled. I knew I had fouled. You could feel it. And the plastic yeah. was like, you could see it from Mars. And I went, got on my hands and knees. I looked down and I looked up at him. I said, okay, you caught me. 
wave to the audience, and I went <laughs> back, put my headphones on and sweats. And I'd always seen these stinking distance runners. You know, they always get to run around, take a lap, right? Victory lap, like, yeah. Victory lap. And I'm like, I'm going to do that. <laughs> I'm going to do it before I win the damn gum competition because after I win, they're going to shuttle me on. Right. So I put my headphones on. I started slowly jogging on the inside of the track, around the track. And every section I came to, people would clap, stand up, and sit down. The first wave in track and field. Oh, that's awesome. It was below. away. I got back. It was my turn. I took my headphones off, took my top off, pulled my pants down. And all of a sudden, I'm standing at the top of the runway with my hands out. And I go, and you could just hear. And people are just standing and clapping. And I'm standing on the edge, like on my toenails, right? I'm just standing <laughs> running. And I ran as fast as I could, hop, skip, jump. I land very close to the world record. Splash. I jump up. People come out of the sands. They grab me. They're carrying me around. They give me a microphone. And that was a mistake. As you can tell, I can talk all day. And I'm talking. I don't even know what I said. Something about my mom and my dad. <laughs> and so after it all died down, after all the pandemonium went away, I walked over to where all the meat organizers were. And I walked up to that big, big cop. And I looked at him and I rubbed my fingernails on my shirt, blue. And I said, so what do you think? And he said, if you do that, you're going to come to my meat. <laughs> right. And, and he lived up to the promise. Everywhere, he, anytime he had to track me, I was the star of the show. And he made me famous, and he made me a very rich man. Oh. So, I love that guy, Andy Norman. Now, you remember there was this guy who used to say, and the rest of the story, do you remember him? He's an old mm. radio commentator, and he'd always... I forget his name, but he'd always go, and now the rest of the story. <laughs> so remember, I had told you there was good and bad news. The good news was he had a meet in Lausanne. So I went down to Lausanne to compete, and I'm not long jumping, as you know, even though I long jumped good. So I was competing, and after about the third jump, I was jumped about 24 feet or something, and it was, I was feeling like, oh, this is horrible. I want to quit. And someone, as I stood up for my fourth jump, someone yelled, well, come on, Willie. And I turned to the audience and I put my hands up like, what do you mean, come on? And all of a sudden, everybody goes, ah, ah, yes. Ah. And I'm like, oh, ah. I ran, I jumped 8, 11, which, you know, was like a, a, a record, a, a Swiss record. And it was a big time jump. It was, you know, probably the, best jump of the season and it definitely was my best jump ever that's 26 eight and a half and i was like holy crap <laughs> that meat on everywhere i went whenever i came to the stadium people would clap and it wasn't just when i stood at the top of the of the the uh, runway i remember coming into berlin stadium a sixty thousand people stadium I came down the run, uh, the uh, tunnel, and I came out, and all of a sudden, people saw me, and all of a sudden, sixty thousand people were like, "Wow!" 
And from that, <laughs> it was just, I loved it everywhere I went. Now people still do the clap. In fact, they in Finland, they call it the banks. But yeah. people don't know the power of it. You, yeah. I mean, it was powerful. It still is, I guess. Yeah. That's, That's my claim to fame. I gave track and field a clap. I gave him the clap. I, I love it. The um the it's a it's a great showmanship tool, like you said. It's a great attention grabber. Um, you know, without uh hasn't I don't know if it was cocky or not on your part, but you know, the nowadays I see it uh, a lot of times is really motivational. Like if someone needs that big push, you know, you'll see them, you know, they start doing this and right. the crowd will usually comply. It depends. Right. It's right. got to be a, a bigger crowd and a bigger event helps, right? Right. Um, I, I see it, you know, coaching this last year was my first year at the NAIA level at uh, Vanguard University. And there'd be like six people watching the triple jump. And, right. you know, one of the kids would start going like this. And so right. four of them would start clapping. And and darn it, they wouldn't jump farther, you know, than they no. then and see, with only four people problem. clapping, you know. Well, the problem is people don't understand what it is. I mean, yeah, it's motivational and it can be, but you have to control it. And and I didn't start it as a cocky thing, but some athletes thought that. I mean, I had guys call me out and wanted to beat the crap out of me. And I look at them and I say, listen, you stupid idiot. If we're not doing this, they're not going to have the triple jump. Right. So you either jump on board or we're not going to have the triple jump. And right. finally people started to understand. Yeah. You know? You have to be in a track and field. Listen, you know, you want to know why track and field has had us a hard time? It's because we don't understand what it is. Yeah. Track and field is not competing against basketball. It's not competing against golf. It's not competing against any sport. It's competing against wherever I'm going to spend my dollar. I can go to the movies. I can go to track meet. I can go out to dinner. I can go to track meet. I can do so many things with this dollar. Why would I go to track me? Yeah. If it's not entertaining me. Yep. Why was it popular back in the day? Because we had entertainers. Dwight Stones, Mac Wilkins, Prefontaine, people who had a story and entertained. Do you think I took this thing and understood it? I didn't take it and understand it at first. But when I saw what, when I was younger and I saw what Dwight did, and then when it happened to me, I didn't do it on purpose. It just happened, right? I understood. I go, that's what Dwight did. But Dwight calmed the crowd. He's shh, and everybody was quiet. And I was like, that is bad as hell. To be able to control the crowd. Right. Entertaining. That's how he got paid. Yeah. Maybe I went the opposite. It was the clap. And at first I was like, what was, you know, what, huh? Oh, oh okay, I'm going to jump. But then I remembered Dwight shut him down. So I would go out and I would start to clap. I wouldn't even have to put my hands up. The minute I stood up, people were clapping. So I could go like this and they'd go harder. And go <laughs> this and go. I could do, I would start sometimes. And if they were off timing, I would stumble and I'd look at them like, no. And it would be funny. Yeah. Right. It's just fun. People want to go. I had kids want to tell them their parents, I want to go see Willie Banks jump. And the kid has, you know, and kids kind of rule their parents, right? Yeah. All the time people would tell me, my kid, 
forced me to go to track meets to see you do it. And that's what our sport should be, entertainment. But they think, oh, no, you know, I mean, it's a job. It's not a job. Yeah. It's a job. You better learn how to entertain because you're doing a whole <laughs> job of it. And so we need to build the stories and we need to, I've always thought maybe we need a producer and a director to direct it. Maybe right. not world and national championships, but definitely these, these stupid meets that everybody goes to. I mean, yeah. how interesting is it? Yeah. Well, and I'm a track guy. Right, right. That's that brings us to the last topic I, that I, if we have time, uh, we can cover. Um, we we mentioned this before, and it, it's come up. And uh, you just mentioned it, and and I know that you're a. I I did a, a little intro at the beginning when you were you were still coming on, but um, you know this whole issue of you know is anybody really watching track and field anymore? Is you know because like you said. Americans, our dollars can be spent in many different places. And here in LA, you know, for instance, it's like, oh my gosh, you've got two football teams. You got two, you know, you got uh, two baseball teams. You've got, um, you know, basketball teams. You've got college, you know, and now UCLA is joining the Big Ten and so is SC and and you can do anything, you know, yeah. you can go golf at all these different places. So like you said, what is going to make someone watch TV? Now, when I was a, a senior at UCLA, they they started showing the um, the track meets on Prime Ticket in 1986, right? right? They filmed our meet, and we were so excited. They, they, the cameras are out there. We're watching this meet. We're going against Cal in the rain. Right. We beat them. Right. Um, uh, Mike Powell, the world record holder in a long jump, came over and high jumped with us, and we went, we swept them, went one, two, three in the rain. Yeah. And their coach even wrote in the article, he said, we thought if anybody was going to sweep the high jump, it would have been us. Mm-hmm. And so we're just like stoked because we're like, oh, we're going to see this on TV. So we watch it on Prime Ticket, and there's no field events. Mm-hmm. They don't show one field event. They don't even show who won the field event. So I didn't get to see my name up there for first mm-hmm. place in the high jump. Mm-hmm. And neither did any of the other you know, field athletes. And then they showed every lap of the men's 10,000 every lap those guys were talking for a half an hour and they were thinking up stuff to talk to each other about they're like so how are your kids doing bill he's like yeah well you know the one kid's you know he's like <laughs> willie banks he's got add what can i do yeah, you know? exactly. so they're they're just talking about whatever to fill the airtime you know and i'm like okay this is horrible this is the worst idea ever and like you said it i've said it before like get me a producer from the nfl truck the guy that's got all the cameras right and you've got a camera everywhere. I mean, track is the ultimate sport for there's always something going on. So you, you have all these cameras and you, you've got a guy in the truck going, okay, go to camera one. There's Willie. Willie's clapping. He's getting ready to take his third jump. You know, never know what's going to happen with Willie. Let's check in. You take your jump. They go crazy and they go, okay, now let's go over to the shot put ring. Cause I got to watch, you know, John Brenner in 84 when I was a sophomore. Right. Breaking records all the time, wins pack tens and NC2As, both shot and disc, you know, trying to make the Olympic team. I mean, there's like you said, just fantastic athletes. They're everywhere, but nobody knows how to produce it. Nobody knows how to put on the show. Like you said, I mean, and these guys are great athletes, but they weren't necessarily showmen, you know, and and I think at the college level, it's a little bit harder, probably a little bit easier now because in the day and age that we live in, everybody's more about, hey. <laughs> what about me you know and we've right. got nil deals right and all that but right. still not much in the way of track and field that way so i'm thinking we got to get a product like you said that that people want to watch and that takes personalities it takes great athletes right. it takes a little bit of showmanship right mm-hmm. and 
and uh, and some people that understand how to put on a good a good show. It's like it shouldn't be that hard, you know. You got it. And you just be the Olympics. So I'm gonna tell you one another quick story. I've I've helped a lot of athletes to figure out what what it is that they can do, and there was. I'm going to tell you about the tennis players. Maybe that's the best way to do it. After I had retired and everything, and I was going back and forth to Japan doing some work, I own a business there, and, and I was sitting next to these two guys. One guy had a big floppy hat. Not, we were on the airplane. And the other guy was just kind of sitting there. And we started, I started talking to the guy. And, you know, he's, you know, what do you do? I said, ah, did I do this? And I used to triple jump out in the world record. At the time, I was world world record holder triple jump. He goes, oh wow, that's cool. And I said, yeah. And he said, well, we're tennis players. And I go, oh, okay. So I told him the story about the clap and all that. And they go, oh my God, that is awesome. They said, can you help, can you help us? And I said, what have you done? Well, we're just trying to get started. We, we you know, we're pretty good. We're we're one of the best in the world. And I go, okay, well, you know what? When you do something, you give me a call and I'll help you. So they go, okay, took our number. About six months later, I get this call. And the guy goes, Willie. And I said, yeah. He goes, it's me, it's Luke. And I go, yeah. And he goes, we did it. I said, what'd you do? We won the French Open. Nice. Help us now. And I said, oh, okay. Luke Jensen and his brother. Right. And so they come up. So... So they, I said, where's your next competition? He goes, it's in Carmel. I said, okay. So I said, now listen, here's the deal, man. You can't just be tennis player. That's not going to work. Nobody cares. Right. Everybody's a tennis player. I can play tennis. Yeah. So I said, so here's what we're going to do. So I got my friend Harley Davidson. And I had them ride the damn Harley Davidson onto the tennis court. <laughs> <laughs> and I had the one guy, you know, he was really good looking, floppy hat, you know, he's really good looking. His brother cannot remember his name right now, but anyway, he came, he came in with this woman on the back, and you know, we, had, you know, it was, it was just crazy, right? It was crazy sick. And then Luke could play with either hand, and so I had the announcer call him Dual Hand Luke. Oh, nice, right? Dual hand and, Luke, yep, yep. And it was like. People loved it. The whole thing was crazy town, right? Those guys got rich, never won another thing. <laughs> and and I said, I did the same thing with other athletes. I told them, look, you don't be an athlete. You talk about all these athletes. All they did was throw, jump, and run. Who the yeah. cares? Right. I can do that right now. Everybody can do that, right? How do you set yourself apart? How do you make it so people go, I got to see that guy. Yeah. If you continue set world records like our shots right. do, right? That people will go see. Yeah. But you can only do that. For so long. Yeah. Then yeah. that stuff dies. Man, I had a long career and I didn't do but one thing. I broke the world record 10 years. I had the world record. And all I did after that was just, I never won a gold medal, never won a world championship, but I was getting paid much more than anybody else. Yeah. So, it was just the clap and it was the entertainment is bringing kids out on the stands when, you know, out of the stands and bringing having fun out there. Just make it fun for people. Make it right. interesting. Yeah. And, 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 and we're too into track. 
I think track is too into track. Yeah. And not into entertaining the entertainment of track. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We want you to do your best. But what if after you throw, you go over to somebody and say, beat me. You right. Know, you know, or something. Yeah. And that guy throws. Yeah. He goes to you. I beat you. Now what you're going to do, chump? Yeah. And now you got something. Yep. Yep. You to see that. I used to do that with, with my buddy Mike. You know, he wasn't getting paid all that much, but I said, well, come with me. We can have a show. Yeah. And I would jump and he would go further and he'd come up and he was the bad guy and he would kick sand in my face. <laughs> I'd beat him. And then, you know, people had to see. They loved it. It was a yeah. show. It wasn't just, okay, they jumped. Yay. Right. Nobody cares. Yeah. So that's how you get paid. Yeah. Okay. You can get paid now by winning. But if you want to get paid, yeah, you got to put on, you got to be entertaining. Look at even the fastest man on the world. He did things that no one else had ever done. And he did it in such an awesome way. Yeah. Same bolt. But it wasn't just winning. You know, he did the whole bolt thing. Right. He was fun. He wasn't, he wasn't afraid to be entertaining. Yes. So that's what we have to convince people to do. Even if it's just, even if you're shy, to show your shyness, damn it. Yeah. People don't don't just walk off the field. <laughs> right. Be shy. Yeah. Let people know how shy you are. So anyway, that that's that's my story. I'm sticking with. I like that. Uh, I I think back to uh, Flojo. You know, Flojo was right. one of the first ones who was all about you know how she looked. Right. She right. was nails and, and she hair. Was super and... shy. Yeah. Super shy. Yeah. You never see her out running around. She was always in the background, but she wore those nails and all this. Oh, she was beautiful, right? Yeah, yeah. So anyway, put on the show, yeah. Important. That is important, and people see that, and they want to know. They want to. They want to see that person. So don't don't just make it a sport. It, I mean, it make it a sport at the world championship. Make it a right. sport because that's when track and field people gather to celebrate track and field. But when you're trying to, when a meat organizer is trying to make enough money to pay you and to pay the TV and to pay all these expenses, please yeah. don't just come out there, jump, <laughs> run and throw and walk away. That's stupid. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that advice. I, I keep thinking of, uh, you know, like we said, getting the producers and everything behind it. You got to have some, some personalities and know what you're doing. Think, think to the greats, you know, Muhammad Ali was yeah. one of the first boxers who you know started doing his own poetry and you know doing his rhymes and and just going crazy and people either loved him or hated him but that's okay he, it was him. one or the other exactly you, everybody him. wanted to watch him fight you either wanted to watch him win or lose right but you were gonna watch yeah so yeah. that you've got that and i keep thinking of i'm watching um american ninja yeah. you know warriors and i go how can that show get right. more people watching it than what we got. And the, the athletes are incredible. I'm not taking anything away from them. And I love, I think the thing they've got going there is the stories. And like you said, the personalities, there's not only just the stories behind the athletes, but then <laughs> they stand up and do kind of crazy things while the camera's on them. Right. And it, it just kind of lends itself to that. And like you said, it's, it's TV. Yeah. It's great TV. Well, Hey, Willie, I, I know it's, it's been a long haul here. We, we did a lot of good stuff. I want to thank you so much for your time. We, I just, I'm just sitting here basking. <laughs> this, this is awesome. Sure. 
um, I really taking the time and, and sharing your experiences with us and uh, your your ideas for uh, um, resurrecting the sport that we both love. And uh, let's let's get you in charge. I, I want to I want Willie Banks for president of the resurrection <laughs> of track and field. So um, I like that idea. Uh, Alan and I, like I said, Alan Hankel and I talked with uh, Lauren Magnuson from um, Chico State, and we had a, a my first uh, three person podcast that was planned, and uh, we we went on for about an hour about that. You know, how do we how do we go about this? And we're thinking about, you know, forming committees and this. And this. I think we got the wrong point person. I, I, <laughs> so, all right. Well, Hey, thanks again, Willie. And uh, hopefully we can do this again sometime yeah. and uh, talk yeah. about the great state of track and field since it's, we got six years, right. To the big That's show right. here in LA. So right. for great things, congratulations on your uh, world record in right. both the triple and the high jump. Is that was the which age groups do you have now on that one? Before well, we 60, uh, 65, 65, 65, and you yeah. jumped six feet. I heard, I heard it. It's well, six, that was 55, 55. 55. Older, I think, was the six feet one or 60. I, I don't remember now. Okay. I don't, I don't, I, I don't keep a lot of track of it because it's it's just masters, but I and I love it, but yeah. Important thing is I'm out there and I'm enjoying it and having fun and, and hey, are you putting on a show? I bet. Putting on a show. <laughs> All right, Willie. Well, hey, God bless you, man. Thanks for your time, and uh, we'll do it again. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Enjoy. All right. All right. All right. Thank you, sir. Take care. You too. All right, Jerry. All right. And that is the great Willie Banks. Uh, we're signing off here on Sky High and Flight podcast. Uh, the Sky High and Fly Jump Camps podcast called Raise the Bar. Willie Banks is with us. Um, please listen to us on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts. We're on many platforms. We're on YouTube. We'll get Willie's face on that one. We've got uh, both the video and the audio. So um, check back in with us here on Raise the Bar. And that's it. Thanks, Willie. God bless. All right. Take care. Try. See ya.